Welcome back, sports fans, to Sports Central's weekly roundup. We've got a huge show ahead of us today, headlined by a lot of this NFL discussion. Uh, we had an incredible divisional round of the playoffs and moving on to the championship round, the second last round of the season this time. Even if you're not an NFL fan, uh, the NFL is must-watch um, at this time of year. Then we've got had a very interesting week of NBA um, that will be discussed in some depth. And, of course, we have some cricketing action. We won't be discussing tennis on this part, podcast because we'll be doing a separate Australian Open recap on Monday morning. So without further ado, let's get into it. We'll move on to some NBA action now. I'm here with a very special guest, Will Geary, who... Uh, is sort of known as the Donald Trump of Sports Central. He's always making some uh, huge calls about different things. He'll be very disappointed with me and making that comparison. But uh, it's good to have you on, William. I'm expecting some big statements uh, from you today. Thank you. It's a bit of a harsh uh, criticism, I mean, criticism, but comparison to calling Donald Trump. That's a bit brutal. <laughs> no, very good. And he is a big NBA fan. So... We'll have plenty to talk about, uh, and it's been it's been a big week. We've had some had some interesting games, um, some notable ones. The Wizards giving up a thirty five point lead um, to lose by one to the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, Luke Kennard scoring two threes in the final ten seconds to win that game. Uh, an, an impressive performance there. Um, the Celtics defeating the Kings by fifty three points in Boston. Um, and only one Kings player scoring, uh, getting into double digits. And that was Buddy Hield with 11, 11 coming off the bench. Uh, disappointing performance by the Kings there, but a good performance by my Celtics. Uh, and finally, Charlotte Hornets um, scoring a franchise high 158 points um, to beat the Indiana Pacers by 32 in what was a bit of a shoot off, really. Um, I think, you know, when you score more than 120 points, you would expect to you know not lose by 32 at the least but uh so some interesting games there what have what have you been interested in this week uh, william by the uh charlotte's win that both teams had scored 70 points at half time so you would think it would have kept being high scoring but even the paces they just seem to be absolute duds when it starts getting tough their starting unit is pretty putrid it's been like that the whole season and the bench is just not much better with Sabonis, Brogdon and Turner out. They just haven't been that good this week. Um, then the Clippers, I don't know how they won that game, 35 points down late in the second quarter. Coming back, it was something they're like 20 points down at three-quarter time. They still managed to win it. Bradley Bill giving off that uh, foul at the end, 1.9 seconds left on Luke Kennard when he shot the three. Very costly foul, that one giving them a chance to take the lead. Yeah, and it uh, caps off a poor run of form recently for the, the Wizards also. The, the, the team that, that were top of the Eastern Conference uh, are now down in 10th, uh, have lost their last four games, four and six in their last 10. Just quickly before we, what, before we move on, uh, kind of what's gone wrong for them? Not too sure. Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie since moving over from Brooklyn, he had that big injury that kept him out for a lengthy period. He just hasn't been able to fire. He has the occasional 20-point game with maybe like six assists or so, but he just never puts in the big 30-point games like he used to be able to do. So maybe he needs to take on a bit more of the role, maybe get involved more in the games. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, but there have definitely been some teams who have had a lot of success this week also, and that brings us on to the team of the week. Uh, who are you going for here? We, we've had some good performance. Miami going eight and two in their last 10. Memphis, seven and three, and a couple others going well. Uh, who who would you pick as your team of the week, Will? Uh, I think Phoenix Suns. They're hard to go past. They've been winning consistently over the last 10 games or so, rarely losing. You've got Devin Booker, who's back into some form. He was pretty, his three-point shooting hadn't been the best leading up to this week, but then it's pulled off a 33, a 43 to 29 point games. So he's back into his player of the week form that he showed earlier in the year. Him and Chris Paul, they've lifted the, their work rate since DeAndre Aden's been out. Even Jay Crowder, who's a good role player. So the whole team's just working well. Cam Johnson, given a starting role. And he's uh, making lots of threes and scoring lots of points. And would you say that they are the, the favourites uh, in the West at the moment? I still I know we've still got a long way to go. Um, Golden State also, you know, Curry finally getting out his form slump and hitting, I think, six threes the other day. Some good signs for them. But Phoenix um, still the front runners? Yeah, absolutely. Warriors still have to get Drummond Green back, but... The Suns, they getting Aiton and Crowder, they'll, I reckon they'll probably should be the favourites to win the whole competition at this point. I don't think anyone's really going to stop them. Maybe in the East, if Brooklyn Irving does get vaccinated, they might have a chance. And then the Bucks, they might as well. They might need Brook Lopez. Bobby Portis isn't the greatest centre, even though you do have Giannis. You need a proper centre. And then yeah, in the West, Utah is pretty poor at the moment with Gobert and Mitchell out. Yeah, the Suns are easily favourites in the West. And uh, on to the, the worst team of the week. I, I've got a bit of a sneaky feeling that I know what you're going to pick for this one, but I'll, I'll let you say it. Yeah, Indiana Pacers by far. They should have lost all their games this week. Somehow they won today. Took a DeMontis Sabonis triple-double today to get them over the line in overtime. Shai Gilgis-Alexander did... Uh, hurt, strain his ankle, I think it was, or sprain it uh, midway through the game. So he didn't make a return to the court, which ultimately cost the Thunder. So they probably, Pacers probably should have been 0-3 uh, this week and they just keep sliding down the ladder. And it's only because of the, uh, uh, the Pistons and the Magic that are keeping them from being the 15th seed in the East. And I don't want to spend too much time on the Pacers and I know that you are, Probably not an expert on, you know, one of the more relevant teams in the league, or at least in recent times. But, you know, there's a lot of talk about them kind of completely gutting their roster, uh, starting again, trading away their, their players like Miles Turner, maybe just keeping Sabonis. Just quickly, what's your advice uh, for how they th should do things going forward? I reckon get rid of Turner. He's a good rebounder, a good defensive player. He might be better off in somewhere like the Warriors who need that tall player with Wiseman out. Draymond Green, he's not the, and Kevin Looney, not the best centres. They're good uh, middle height centres. They're not the big tall ones that are going to be doing a lot of the work in the playoffs. So getting someone like Miles Turner would be good for them. Not sure what the uh, paces will get in return, but they definitely need to change something up there. Just not playing well at all. Uh, and just quickly before we move on to other topics, also, I 
on the topic of team of the week, I probably would have gone um, with the Atlanta Hawks uh, on a six-game win streak and some big wins this week over Sacramento, yeah. the Charlotte Hornets, Miami Heat, Timberwolves and the Bucks uh, in the last five. Pretty impressive you know, compared to Phoenix, who have probably had a slightly easier draw in the last few games. Just on Atlanta, they're 11th in the East now, recovering from their, you know, horrible start to the season, really. Um, what would you credit, you know, this um, change of fortunes for for them? But yeah, they went like 0-19 at home during like the first couple of months of the season. And it's pretty poor from a team that did make the Eastern Conference Finals last season. I reckon getting some players back, Bogdanovich and Capella, they had been injured for a bit. Trey Young has been solid the whole season, but just getting the other role players back into the team has made the side a lot better and a lot more competitive than what they had been. So sitting down, when you say 11th they were or 10th, yeah, yeah that's nothing that they should be. They should be in top six, top seven teams. Yeah, and the difficult thing for them is that the East is pretty compact. There's a lot of teams that you know, around the mark there. You look at the the playing tournament positions now, Charlotte, Boston, Toronto, and Washington, uh, all above Atlanta at the moment. You probably wouldn't expect any of those teams to have horrible runs of form in the end of the season. Do you think Atlanta do have a chance of, um, you know, breaking into higher positions? Yeah, definitely. I don't think the Wizards make the planes. Even Charlotte, they may drop down into the, bottom half so like the ninth and tenth positions i reckon the hawks finish somewhere between eighth and sixth yeah the pensive celtics can find some chemistry with tatum and brown um the raptors they got some good players you got siakam fred van vliet could help push them up but i think they'll be stuck in the plains so the hawks will be looking like a similar position as they were last year in the middle of their playoffs playing section I think that's a little harsh on Charlotte, possibly. They, they had some good good wins, seemed to have improved defence uh, recently. You're not buying into the, the mellow hype uh, surrounding them? Uh, I reckon that's, they'll, still, they'll definitely make the playoffs, whether it's through the planes or making it through finishing top six, but I reckon it'll have to come through the planes for them. Sure. Uh, and just finally, to round off teams in the East doing well, the Cleveland Cavaliers... You know, every time I, I look at the ladder, I have to do a double take seeing them there in third. Uh, and now an 8-10 win streak and talk even, which we'll get to a bit later, of potentially having three all-stars in the team. That's how good um, their season has been. Where has this come from? Uh, you know, are they a, a genuine um, challenger this year? I don't think they're a proper challenger for the championship, but they'll definitely, they might be like a Philadelphia. They always seem to perform well and then they'll get to the playoffs. They might win a one round and then get to the next round and they might just bum out. They've got a good defensive team with Mobley and Allen and Isaac Okoro. A good playmaking with Garland. Um, but yeah, the loss of Ricky Rubio with his ACL, I think it was, midway through the season so far is a big loss for them. But yeah, I reckon that might go out in the second round. Yeah, well, you would have thought that the Rubio going out would have almost been the death blow for them, but they've had other players step up, like Darius Garland and um, quite a few of the, the young players, Colin Stexton, improving this year also. So, yeah, it's a, a surprise team. And this, 
you know, always the talk of LeBron potentially coming back there as having more chance of, you know, him getting another ring than the Lakers this year. But um, yeah, you know, it's always, always good to see. Uh, moving on to probably the big story of the week, which was um, the all-star starter selections. Um, in the West, we had Curry, LeBron, Jokic, John Morant in his first selection and Andrew Wiggins in his first selection. Um, while in the East, we had Durant, um, Antetokounmpo, Embiid and DeRozan. Um, it, yeah, the big story is Andrew Wiggins being selected with stats of 18 points, four rebounds and two assists um, over players such as Carl Anthony Towns, who's averaging 24, nine and four uh, in the forward position. Um, you know, is this a defensible decision? You know, it was largely because of the fan votes um, being so high for him. But, you know, what's the thinking with this selection? Yeah, definitely was the fan votes. Just looking at how voting worked, he was ranked three for the fan votes and got in as the third forward. Um, Draymond Green, who finished right behind him, finished six in the fan vote, but higher in the player rank and the media one as well. So it's a bit disputable whether Wiggins should be in there just because the fans wanted him in. But at the end of the day, the All-Star Weekend is pretty much just for the fans. So I think him being voted in by the fans is him deserving his spot. Behind him, you've got Paul George, who's injured, probably wouldn't have played anyway. Draymond Green's also injured. Rudy Gobert been out for the last couple of games. So, yeah, the main one would have been Cat, um, Carl Anthony Towns. You got Davis, a few other Lakers players like Kamala Anthony, but I think Wiggins does deserve his spot. He's been very good defensively, good shooting the threes, especially late in the game in the fourth quarters. Yeah, I reckon he deserves the spot. Right. I see. Well, yeah, definitely been an important part of um, the number two team in the West. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just it just seems a, a change from how you know all star teams were selected in. in in previous years where it really was by, by stats. Uh, I think this is the fans, yeah. the fans, um, you know, pulling one over the, the league here with this, but um, <laughs> makes, makes for a, a good talking point. We'll see how he, he goes in, in the, in the all-star game. I saw something, you know, Wiggins has one all-star starting um, game while players like Paul Pierce didn't have any. So it is, it's going to be yeah. one of those anomalies, uh, you know, in trivias and things going forward, I think. Well, yeah, well, I, I tried doing that little, make a bit of fun with the NBA and voted for Ben Simmons to get him, despite not playing a single game. So that would have been even more interesting had he got a spot. <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always a few of them. I forget who it was a few years ago. That there was one also. Then obviously Clay Thompson, always well, been injured. There's yeah. always a few votes for him, but... Uh, yeah, I don't, it's one of the more juvenile aspects of NBA. But anyway, um, on the, on, on the, oh, well, just before we move on for the rest, Ja Morant, uh, a well-deserved starter selection, you would say? Absolutely, yeah. He's, I reckon he's been performing better than Luka Doncic, although the stats don't necessarily say that with the assists and the rebounds. But just Morant's impacts on the games is far more uh, larger, more considerate than considerable. Then Doncic, he's the major player for uh, Memphis and he's pretty much the reason why they're doing so well at the moment. Definitely deserves the starting position. Yeah, well, I think 
on players so close together, Doncic and Morant, you can sort of go to how well their teams are, are performing when they're both the, the best players of the team. And, you know, Memphis in third at the moment, two places ahead of Dallas. A lot of credit does have to go to Morant for that. So, yeah, definitely a good selection there. In the East, um, not not too many surprises with that one. Uh, DeRozan getting in the team, uh, you know, obviously that was a, a good selection. Any Anything to take away from the Eastern uh, selections? Um, not really. The front court was extremely predictable. It was going to be those three the whole time. Maybe the guards, Trey Young, might have picked Zach Levine over him. Um, me being a Brooklyn supporter, I would have liked to have seen Harden. He's averaging the most assists in the game out of all any player in the comp. So that warrants a position, but Trey Young's been scoring a lot more points than Harden. But yeah, seeing the Slash brothers, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, there would have been a good starting team, but happy with Trey Young. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Also, now in some other, you know, news or developing news throughout the, the season. Um, we saw a big development in the, the MVP race um, this this week as it, Embiid continued his push uh, with with a 38-point game and a 42-point game, um, both of them also being double-doubles, uh, which extended his streak of 25-plus points to 15 games, dating back to Boxing Day. A very impressive run there, which led, you know, people such as Shaq to say that, you know, he is the front runner for MVP as the the baddest man in the league or something. I think there's Shaq's uh, typical words there. Um, but then at the same time, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo has 13 games of 25 plus points in a row in, in the same period. Um, and he's kind of been a bit out of the spotlight that has, has um, been shown on Embiid more. It's definitely developing into a pretty good race between Giannis and Embiid, but also Jokic as well. Um, I'd like to get your your take on, you know, where the race is at at the moment. Just to quickly go through the stats of them all first, Giannis averaging 29 points, 11 rebounds and six assists. Embiid, 29 points, 11 rebounds, four assists. And Jokic, 26 points, 13 rebounds and eight assists. So remarkably close. And their teams are all very close in, in terms of their positions. Also, so it really is a, a tight race. Yeah, definitely. I reckon that Giannis probably is ahead of them all just at the moment. He seems to have, while all their stats are very similar, he seems to have more of the uh, control demanding position in the game. He takes control of the game a bit more than the others. He seems to be like more of a, he probably is the most valuable player in the comp. Like the other two, they stand out in their teams, but their teams aren't, they don't have much depth for them. So it's basically MB and then it drops off to Seth Curry. And then while yeah. uh, in the Nuggets, you got Nikola Jokic and then Aaron Gordon. Well, then he's going, they're going to stand out. They're going to get those sort of points. They're going to get the rebounds. Giannis on the other hand, he's got Middleton, Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Dante DiVincenzo, they're all scoring points around him. And then Giannis is still getting those big scores, lots of rebounds. So I reckon for that reason, he's more of a valuable player to them. I see. He's just, yeah. Do you think do you think they they will pick um Giannis again, you know, already having having two? There seems to be in modern years, you know, a definite bias against 
picking the the same MVP, and that would go against Jokic also, who was last year's winner. You know, many people argued that LeBron, you know, should have won about six or seven MVPs um, if you were just going off who who was the best player in the season. Do you think that counts against um, Giannis and Jokic at all? I don't think so. I think they will at the moment. If they decided today, they'll be giving it to Embiid. But um, you're looking back at like the past winners, only one in the last 10 years has come in a team that's finished outside the top four. That was Westbrook a couple of years ago in 2017 or 18, whenever it was, when his team finished sixth. Um, while Shaquille O'Neal, he, he hates that. He thinks it's just the best player in the comp, regardless of where your team's finish. Others think your team has to do well as, at the same time. Um, if the 76ers are to improve, then Embiid's um, position in the MVP rankings will definitely increase and probably overtake Giannis. But at the moment, because Giannis is first, then, or not first, but the teams, what are they in the top four, top three in the conference, then he probably deserves it more, but Joel's definitely definitely up there. His form over the last three months is career best form. He's playing exceptionally well in the paint. He's doing really well as well as even in the mid-range and three points. Giannis's three-point shooting isn't that great, much as everyone likes to talk it up. Like today, he was missing some pretty bad shots that were barely hitting the ring, barely hitting the backboard. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely will be an interesting race to watch um, as we go in towards the end of the season. Um, another big performance today was Russell Westbrook um, scoring 35 points, uh, but most notably scoring, I think I think it was 30 in the first half and the most since... Um, in the second half, I think it was. Oh, yeah, in the second half, the most since Kobe Bryant's uh, final game. Um, I think yeah. it was the stat there. So a good performance for him today, but really, you know, this is, it, it almost sort of highlights um, the struggles that he's had this year because this was a game without Davis and LeBron where he can do it on himself, um, where he hasn't been able to perform anywhere near that level um, with some other players on their team. Do you think uh, Westbrook in the long term or at least for the rest of this season can, you know, become an important player on the Lakers and, you know, able to uh, make that that team work? Or do you think he is someone who needs to be the sole player on the team? I think he does need to be the sole player. Like today was his first time getting above 25 points since before Christmas. So he's had nearly two, two months of no real big scores. He does get a few rebounds and assists, but with LeBron and Davis on the team, it's going to be very hard for him to do that. He's not a great defensive player either. So really, he's just providing the athleticism and the scoring capabilities and playmaking. And then this team is not really doing that with LeBron there, who, despite being a forward, pretty much plays all five positions. Um, I reckon having just him with a pure shooter like he had last year with Bradley Beal, that would be his ideal setup or maybe a big uh, centre, big defensive centre, like a Rudy Gobert kind of player. So in a team like with one of those, he'd be much better suited than in this Lakers team where it's just LeBron and AD who play similar sort of games. Maybe LeBron a bit more of a playmaker, but both are big 
tall players that get in the post and also can take mid-range and three-point shots. Russell probably doesn't suit that sort of team. Sure. And I was talking about it with Trisha last week. Would you agree that the Lakers really messed up their lineup um, for this season? You know, not having enough shooters, having too many players uh, that were too similar. Um, as we've spoken about, they really need to change things if they're going to make another push. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even reckon I'll make the planes at this point. With no mind, even the Spurs, I didn't think the Spurs would do too well at the start of the season, but they've been performing well and they're only five games, yeah, five games behind the Lakers at the moment. So the Lakers are in a bit of a poor position at the moment. They could easily finish outside the top 10 and miss out on the planes with the current roster they've got. Wow. Yeah. And that, that would be something, you know, you, it's almost like watching Tom Brady play. You always expect LeBron to, to get it done every year, but you know, perhaps despite him performing very well personally, um, yeah, working out for them this year. Yeah. Um, just before we wrap things up in this episode, we'll just have a quick look at some trade rumours. Um, they were all heating up about James Harden this week, him not liking Brooklyn. There was talk it was too cold for him, perhaps not enough nightlife and stuff like this uh, for James Harden. Um, you know, is there some talk that he could move to Philadelphia is the, is the one that they're, they're talking about. Daryl Morey um, really hyping things up there. Is this, from what you've seen, a genuine chance of happening? Um, it could happen in the off-season. I don't think it will. I think he'll probably stay at Brooklyn. He's dismissed those rumours saying that unless it comes from me, don't believe it. Uh, him and Maury go back at Houston and they have good connections there and friendship. But I think with Durant and even if Irving's only playing half the games, if Durant stays fit, Harden will be a lot happier. He doesn't have to carry the team. doesn't have the big workloads. And he just wants success, really. He hasn't had a ring in his whole life. So I reckon he has a better chance of getting that at Brooklyn than he does at um, Philadelphia. So I reckon he'll stay at least for the next year or so but he's an unrestricted free agent so whether a team offers him big bucks to go there then maybe but i don't see it happening in the near future yeah you, you wouldn't think it would happen but you never know james Harden, a bit of an odd unit you yeah. never know you never know what he's thinking um and this could probably be a, a weekly segment actually um but uh ben simmons just quickly anything new with him uh nothing new I wouldn't mind him coming to Brooklyn. That would be, I wouldn't mind sending Kyrie off for Simmons, but that's definitely not happening. Um, apparently, lots of teams have offered him with like the Kings offered to pretty much get rid of the whole starting five for Simmons, but uh, Philadelphia does not want that. And I don't think I'd want that either. But yeah, I don't know if Ben will end up moving or not. Might take another season, another off season for that to happen. Yeah, I'm the same as you as a Boston fan. I wouldn't really mind if we even traded Brown and a couple other pieces for Simmons. Um, I think he's exactly the type of player we need, you know, just as a yeah. playmaking point guard. We don't need him to be a shooter at all. But, you know, yeah. it, it seems that, well, you know, they Daryl Morey says that his value has increased um, in the last couple of months <laughs> while he hasn't been playing. But I, I still think it, it's sort of fairly low and people aren't, Teams, the big teams aren't willing to give up anyone real of any real value to get him. 
yeah, especially with Tobias Harris now being put into it, it's an extra 40 mil a yeah. year, which is probably far too much to put those two together. Yeah, the salary cap really does uh, mix these sort of things. Um, but definitely plenty to watch uh, with the rest of the season to come. We'll move on to some NFL action now. We're sort of all just recovering from an incredible divisional round of the playoffs. Vassar, I think you called it perhaps the greatest round of NFL ever. I am here with, with Bass Ship again, our NFL expert. Uh, take us through that um, an incredible round, both of the, the top seeds, that the favourites perhaps um, going out. Yeah, stunning, um, really, Teddy. Uh, four one-possession games, four games at the end of... We ended with walk-off wins, meaning the last play of the game decided who won, who was moving forward, um, and who wasn't. Um, the first three games ended with a field goal as time expired with the away team winning. So, as you mentioned on Saturday, the Tennessee Titans, who were the one seed, they got done by the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, so, the, the upstart Bengals moving on to the championship round. Um, absolutely stunning state of affairs. Titans quarterback um, Ryan Tannehill, I mentioned last week, would have to play well. Really didn't. Three interceptions to his name. Derek Henry couldn't really get going on his return. Um, the Bengals are moving on. Evan McPherson, their kicker, has been really clutch in the big time in his rookie season out of Florida. Um, and then the Green Bay Packers, who many thought this was their year to win it all. Aaron Rodgers, another MVP uh, kind of year. Um, San Francisco 49ers come in and upset them. Robbie Gold, their kicker. Um, I think it's 42 now in the snow um, up in Wisconsin, um, hitting from 45 as time expires to send the Niners back to the championship game. They're just one win away from a Super Bowl now um, for the second time in three years. The Packers, off-season of turmoil. Will Aaron Rodgers stay? Their offensive coordinator just got hired away by the Denver Broncos, so there's a lot of rumours that he'll go with him, um, you know, uh, three times in a row now failing in the playoffs, um, the Green Bay Packers. Sunday, um, it was... Uh, the Rams had a massive lead, um, 27-3, to eerily similar to Tom Brady's 28-3 to in the Super Bowl about five years ago against the Falcons, which I'm sure uh, many of us would remember. He made a big comeback, his biggest in postseason history. He got close, tied the score up at, at 27 with under a minute to go, but uh, Matthew Stafford in the clutch, um, hitting Cooper Cup twice on long pass plays. Um, and they're going to the NFC Championship. Matt Gay hitting from 30 yards away, 30 to 27. Uh, the Rams will host the championship game in the same building that the Super Bowl will be in. So they've got a chance to play in their home Super Bowl uh, for the second time in as many years. The Bucks obviously hosted the Super Bowl last year. And then finally, the Chiefs and Bills is probably the best game I've ever seen. Uh, an unbelievable quarterback duel between um, the Bills and the Chiefs. Um, Josh Allen... I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anyone play so well and lose 27 of 37, 329, four touchdowns, no picks, all four of those passing touchdowns to one receiver in Gabriel Davis. But Mahomes, Magic Mahomes, 33, 44, 378, three touchdowns, um, 25 points in the last two minutes of game time, which is just unbelievable. The Chiefs had 13 seconds to get a field goal to send it to overtime. Um, they did that. And then they got the ball first in overtime. A lot of discussion about that rule. It's not very fair. Um, but since the Chiefs won the coin toss and scored a touchdown, that was the end of the game. The Bills go home uh, pretty heartbroken. The Chiefs are hosting the AFC Championship for the fourth straight season. That's never been done before. Um, and, yeah, we're looking forward to two great games this weekend, Teddy. Indeed. Uh, just before we move on to that, Tom Brady, I need to get your take quickly. A lot of talk now that he might retire. Uh, 44 years of age, I think he is, isn't he? Do you think that's a chance? You know, it seems hard to believe. I think it's becoming more and more a chance. I, I 
I still don't think he will. I think now um, for his family, he's coming more into I think he wants to go out on top. He didn't decide to retire after last year. So I think the hunger will, will keep him coming back. The Bucks don't really have anything else at the quarterback position. If he's not there, um, as I say, they've got a good enough team to probably win it again next year. Um, I think there was comments about his wife and she doesn't like to see him out there getting hit and all that. But at the end of the day, if, if he's still got that hunger and that drive, which oh, I believe he, he does, uh, I think I'd, I'd be surprised if he's not back there next year. Um, I mean, one of his best ever seasons at the age of 44, he'd probably come second in the MVP voting. So it's not as if he's losing it. Um, we're seeing other quarterbacks, Ben Roethlisberger, retiring around him who are a little younger than him. Um, I think he can absolutely keep going. And at this stage, I think he will. He doesn't get that many hits, does he, Ben? Uh, well, it's interesting. He actually got a, he got a, a foul oh, yeah. for um, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct for the first time in his career because he yelled at an official after um, getting a hit to the helmet. But, um, yeah, that's a, when you've got an old quarterback, it's important to build the offensive line so you make sure he's not getting hit. And for the most part, he hasn't been hit that much. That's why uh, the key, I guess, in some elements to why he's had such a, a long career. Just one final thing that interested me moving on. Not a huge thing, but I did say that Joe Burrows, the Bengals quarterback, uh, late in the game was calling plays by himself. Didn't have the radio connection or whatever it is to the coaches. So I thought that was quite impressive. Don't know if that's a common thing, but um, yeah, that seemed impressive for me. Yeah, I mean, nothing can be done about that. Occasionally it does happen. And the reason why it's impressive is he's a second year quarterback. Um, he's the first first overall pick to actually lead his team to a conference championship in the first two years. Uh, that was impressive because there are a lot of quarterbacks out there who wouldn't be able to play, call the players off the roof and they actually succeeded. Um, but I think you'll find there are sometimes quarterbacks who pretend that their headset's not working so they can call their own plays if they're a bit frustrated with what the uh, the coaches are calling. But that would be more experienced. Aaron Rodgers is known to have done that. But uh, no, not John, Joe Barra, but very impressive. Uh, I think him and the Bengals got a big chance um, against the Chiefs, as I'm sure we'll, we'll get on to. Yes, moving on to that, the conference championships, the second last playoff um, round. Um, who have you got? Yeah, two really tough ones, as I mentioned back in week 17. The Bengals won over the Chiefs. That was a high-scoring Titan counter. Um, I'm not going to pick against the Chiefs like I did last week. Uh, the Bengals, you know, there's a lot more pressure on the Chiefs to get back than there is the Bengals, but um, I think they they might finally, this kind of Cinderella run might exhaust itself. Um, the Chiefs' defense was really bad towards the end of that Bills game. I think they rebound here. If they can get a, a couple of turnovers, I think um, that'll go a long way towards them winning this game. And I certainly trust the coaching staff more on the Chiefs' side, again, as long as that defense doesn't become uh, leaky as it did against the Bills. Um, I'll take the Chiefs by perhaps a field goal. Oh, no, I'll make it a little bit more, maybe 36 to 30. That will, they'll be going back to the Super Bowl for the third consecutive season. Uh, and then the NFC Championship, by the way, that's 7 a.m., that uh, Bengals Chief game on Monday morning on Mate or on ESPN or wherever people find their NFL. And then 10.30 a.m., maybe a little bit more of a reasonable time period. Uh, the Niners at the Rams, the NFC Championship in L.A. This is a divisional matchup. They played each other twice this year. Niners won both. They've won six in a row against the Rams. Um, it's been a real dominance really over the last couple of years. So um, interesting here. Um, and again, I'm going to have to take the home team. I think the Rams, um, they've got a better chance of winning. They do have this kind of hoodoo against the Niners, um, but their defense, in particular that defensive line, they've spent a lot of money uh, on the defense, bringing in Von Miller. I mean, adding it to the likes of Aaron Donald, they really caused trouble for the Bucks last week. And this 49ers offensive line is not the great, especially if Trent Williams doesn't come up. Uh, and I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, yes, the Niners have made it to the championship game. Hasn't been playing the best football. There's been a lot of debate uh, over in America in this kind of sports radio about his role. 
Um, I think if they can get a, a, a turnover or two from him or on that offense, I think the, the Rams should win it. Uh, and then we'll have Rams Chiefs, which uh, should be a really good Super Bowl in two weeks' time. But uh, I'll be back next week, Teddy, and we can have a look, little look at uh, what happens in these championship games. But again, hoping for some a good close football like we saw in the divisional round. Yes, come on the 49ers, I say. I don't want the LA Rams doing any better than, than they are. I'm not a fan of them from the very Fair little enough. amount that I watch. But anyway, thank you for coming on again, Vass. That wraps up the NFL segment. We'll close out this roundup with a little bit of cricketing action. First, starting off with the Women's Ashes, which is currently going on. The sole test being played at Manica Oval at Canberra as we speak. Uh, in, in the first innings, the Australians batting first got off to a, a shocking start, um, being two for four, um, with Alyssa Healy going out for a duck and Beth Mooney for three. But uh, Rachel Haynes with 86 and Meg Lanning with 93 got the ship back on course, um, and it seemed as if uh, the Australians would record another of their absolutely mammoth scores, um, which they've done so often in recent years. Uh, but a five for five for sixty for Catherine Brunt restricted them to three thirty-seven. Still a very good score, um, but definitely kept England in the game. Um, and even more, uh, keeping it even more competitive uh, was Heather Knight in England's batting innings, scoring a, a not out one hundred and sixty-eight. Um, bringing England to a total of 297 in the second innings. With the ball, Elise Perry um, was very impressive for Australia, picking up three for 57. Uh, and just today, Australia came in to bat again. And um, yet again, the, their openers struggled a little with uh, Rachel Haynes getting out for four and Alyssa Healy for a duck, meaning that Australia are 52 runs ahead Um with eight wickets remaining in their second inning. So the game very much in the balance. Um, you would think if Australia were able to get to a, around a, a 250 lead, that would probably be quite difficult for England to, uh, to to chase down. And with Elise Perry at the crease, Meg Lanning still to come, there's definitely a high chance of that. Um, but a, a very good test match um, underway in Canberra. We're also coming to the pointy end of the Under-19 World Cup at the moment. Uh, the quarterfinals and semifinals uh, occurred this week, and uh, it's a bit of an interesting format um, at the Under-19 World Cup. So, so you've got the, the top two from each of the four pools that go through into kind of the, the standard, um, the Super League um, quarterfinals, they call it. Um, and then they play off that the winner of those games go into the semifinals, then to final, as a normal World Cup style tournament works out. Um, but then you also have the losers of those quarterfinals um, that play off uh, and then play their own semifinals and their own final, um, sort of for the seventh and eighth positions. Um, and then after, then on top of that, they also have something called the plate group. Um, which are all the teams that lost um, in their groups. Uh, so the third and fourth teams in their groups, and they also have a quarterfinal and a semifinal uh, and a final. Um, so it's I think it's designed to give each team um, a chance to play the same amount of games in the group stage and in 
um, a playoff format as well. So just an interesting little factoid there for you. Um, but it was some good news for the Australians this week um, as they got through to the semi-finals, beating Pakistan by 119 runs in the quarters. Uh, with the bat, we made 276 and it was Corey Miller scoring uh, 64 runs, leading the way there. Um, but as is often the case with Australian teams, it was our performance with the ball um, that did the job, bowling Pakistan out for 157 uh, with fast bowler Will Salzman leading the way with three. So a couple of names uh, for you to remember for the future um, there with that one. We were going to play the winner of India or Bangladesh in the semi-finals, uh, while England and Afghanistan will play off in the other semi after Afghanistan beat Sri Lanka, or it may be more fitting to say Sri Lanka lost the unlosable match to Afghanistan. Uh, they, you know, after the first innings, it seemed as if they had it. Uh, Venuja Rand Paul took five wickets um, to restrict the Afghanis to just 134 runs. Um, but then the wheels fell off uh, well and truly for the Sri Lankans. They had four runouts in their innings, were four for 24 at one stage. A late partnership resurrected things a little, uh, but in the end they fell agonisingly short, four runs short um, after they were bowled out in the 46th over. Uh, so a bit of... Bit of bit of under-19 action there. It is always interesting to see how the future of the future um, stars of international cricket are performing. And it's good to see the Australians are well and truly the match of the other teams. Although, as is often the case, the real stars to come out of this tournament, um, that the main one I can think of, Dewald Brevis, who we discussed a little last week from South Africa. Um, they're coming from, you know, sort of lesser nations. Uh, Af the Afghanistanis having some good players also. That, But as we sort of covered a little bit last week also, the real question is whether their promise that they show in the young age can kind of transfer to uh, performances in the top level. Okay, to finish off the cricket recap for this week, uh, we did have the BBL final take place on Saturday night. The Perth Scorchers beating the Sydney Sixers by 79 runs. A little bit of an anticlimactic finish to the season. Uh, although it, it wasn't all um, easy going for the Scorchers as they got off to a very tough start, a 4 for 25. Um, as their stars Mitch Marsh and Curtis Patterson, Josh Inglis, Colin Munro, the star-studded lineup they had, they all failed. Um, but almost as if to emphasise the depth that they have, uh, it was Laurie Evans with 76 and Ashton Turner with 54, got them to a very competitive total of 171. At that stage, probably in a normal game, um, especially in a final, you would think that you know, it's game on, um, and that is definitely a chaseable score. But even at halftime, with the amount of players uh, that they have out, Josh Philippi being the big one, it was always going to be a bit of a task uh, for the Sixers. And so it did prove to be. Things really didn't get going for them at all. Hayden Kerr, the hero of the semi-final, being dismissed for one. Um, someone I've never heard of before, Nick Burtis, out for 15. Um other scores like Enriquez, seven, Christian, three. No one really got bowling with going with some 
Strong bowling from the Scorchers up the other end. Jai Whit Richardson finishing with two for 20. Um, Andrew Ty, three for 15. And my favourite, Peter Hatsuglu, very tight on one for 13. The kind of the lone hand for the Sixers was Daniel Hughes with 42 as they were dismissed in the 16th over um, with a total of just 92. Um yeah, I think it's fair to say it was a, a bit of a, a disappointing final. You know, probably a lot of that has to go to the injuries, which is unfortunate. But then when you think about the fact that Steve Smith wasn't allowed to be played, um, you know, it, it's not an ideal situation, that's for sure. And the other sort of takeaway from this season is that coming into it, you thought that, you know, maybe after the first round of games, you thought that the final would be the Sixers and the Scorchers and that the Scorchers, with the depth and the experience they have, would probably win. And yes, here we are. That's that's exactly what happened. But nevertheless, it was an entertaining BBL season. Okay, that wraps up the cricket segment and our weekly roundup for this week. Uh, we'll be back on Monday, I think, with the wrap-up of, of the Australian Open um, and with our normal weekly roundup back next weekend. Thank you all for listening.